0: This morning, we finally leave Samaria to return to Galilee and the encounter our Lord had with a nobleman. And in so doing, we come to the end of the first section of John's Gospel as verse 46 serves as an inclusio, a a bookend, dividing the previous material, which all happened in the light of our Lord's first miracle, uh, From the second section. And our theme this morning is our sovereign Saviour. And we're going to look at this majestic theme by looking back at some of the material we have covered in the first section. And our subtitle for this material uh, will be Our Lord's Sovereign Timing before we look at our Lord's Sovereign Power which will cover the material concerning uh, our Lord's interaction with the nobleman. So our Lord's sovereign timing. We look again at the amazing contrast between the two persons who have dominated the first part of John's Gospel, the Samaritan woman and Nicodemus. If we had the luxury of choice, we would always uh, want to have the kind of gospel response that the woman displays. She meets Jesus in the light of day and almost immediately chooses to walk in the light of the gospel. Remember the symbolism that uh, John so delights in using in his gospel. On the other hand, Nicodemus, despite his all his endless religious education, meets Christ at night and is left stumbling in the darkness of his own heart. Certainly, if we were telling the gospel, we'd really want to have to be dealing with a Samaritan woman rather than Nicodemus. However, the Holy Spirit wants to teach us a very important lesson through this dear man, Nicodemus. A lesson that we need to hear today. Last week we looked at the hard work of sowing the seed of the gospel. And it is hard work, it is hard graft. As it sure can be a long time before there's anything to see for all your own sowing. Sometimes you sow the seed, we go out the next day, nothing. Out the next day, nothing. Maybe the next year, nothing near. Maybe even the next decade, it looks like there's uh, nothing. And dear Nicodemus, it's a very good example of this very fact that sometimes it takes a seed a long time to grow. John chapter 3 is the last, it's not the last time, it's not the last time we hear of him. If you turn to John's Gospel and uh, chapter 7, uh, you've got this situation where the, chief, where the Pharisees and the chief priests are expressing exasperation about Jesus. And like they sent some men off to arrest Jesus, they come back empty-handed. And they, these Pharisees and chief priests are really coming down hard on Jesus. But who pipes up with something of a half-defence of our Lord. Nicodemus, look at verse 47 of John 7. Then the Pharisees answered them, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? And this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? They answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. We see here that Nicodemus was starting to stick his his neck out for Jesus. So well done, Nicodemus. There's a bit of progress here. There's a bit of movement. He's not quite wandering about in the darkness of night anymore. But God isn't finished working in his life just yet. Turn to John chapter 19. John's Gospel chapter 19. And you find this slow walking, halting man who lurks in the twilight. Does at last fact find his way to the cross. And John 19 and verse 38, we read this. After this, this is after our Lord Jesus died on the cross. After this, Joseph Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission So he came and took the body of Jesus and Nicodemus who first came to Jesus by night. I'm sure Nicodemus was sick hearing that. He also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in stripes of linen with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. End quote. Here we have not just one fearful, weak man, but two. But lo and behold, the two of them dare to step into the light and publicly identify themselves with Jesus. And note, not uh, uh, Jesus when he gloriously risen from the dead, but Jesus in his death and in his humiliation. Now, folks, It seems to me that takes faith. So brothers and sisters, what is this saying to us today? It is telling us that our all-sovereign God works in different ways, in different lives. And he sovereignly works at different speeds in different lives. And should any one of us find fault with God for how he does business? Now to be honest, we all would love to have the Samaritan woman. The kind of person who pretty much immediately receives the gospel and rushes off to go and preach the gospel to other people. That's the kind of person we would love to have. We would love to have the Philippian jailer in Acts uh, 16 who before he even hears the gospel, just falls down and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And as you remember, he actually gets baptised the same night. Not a lot of messing about goes on there. It's all pretty fast-paced. And as we said, our sovereign God is well able to do that kind of thing today. God can work like that. And it's worth asking the question, what would we say if somebody came to us and said I want to become a, a Christian right now. What would you say? Oh, um, uh, Well, uh, well um, um, talk to our pastor. Folks, we can do better than that, can't we? But what I want us to grasp right now is that our God sovereignly works in different ways and in different speeds. So let's be patient both Nicodemus and the smart woman went to heaven fully saved by the blood of Christ and that's all that really matters even if their spiritual journey in this world looked very very different and God's good pleasure sometimes a seed can just germinate like that and grow and other times the Lord's good pleasure just takes ta- years and years and years and So little to be seen. But our God is sovereign in how he does things. It is faith alone, in Christ alone that saves. That is a non-negotiable. That is what never changes. But there are so many ways, as many ways as there are people, that how people are drawn to Jesus So let us faithfully sow the seed of the word, leaving room for our sovereign God to work how and when he pleases. What did we read back in John chapter 3 in relation to the new birth? The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it's going. It's kind of like the wind is blowing. It's like how God's working Maybe he's working here, maybe he's working there. We just have so little idea. We have no clue. We can't control the wind and we sure cannot control the Spirit of God. And Jesus says, So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Folks, let us never try to put God in a box. To the soul of Tarsus, he dramatically confronts him on the road to Damascus. But to a John the Baptist, we read that he was filled with the Spirit, even from his mother's womb. In other words, before he was born, John was already born again, already regenerated. You say, God can't do that. Folks, should be amazed what God can do. But you just could imagine both John and Paul being at a testimony meeting. And it isn't hard to guess who would be the really exciting who would be the exciting speaker there? Who would give the really dramatic, exciting testimony? Everybody would want to hear Paul's testimony, but John that's, that would seem kind of dull. But I wonder in God's eyes which of the two men were the most important? Surely the two men were of the same value to God. It was just that he had chosen, he'd sovereignly chosen to intervene in their lives in different ways and at different times. My family of faith, I say again, leave room for God's timing. Which is so often so different from our own. We share the gospel with someone... It doesn't seem to make the slightest difference. They, they aren't interested. They may even mock us. We throw up our hands and go, Ugh, oh, they'll never be saved. They'll never come to Christ. That's just hopeless. But who are we to say that? It could well be that we're dealing with a, a Nicodemus rather than with a Samaritan woman. And it's going to take, it's going to be a lot of slow slow, slow little steps before there's anything that we can see. And maybe it'll be years down the the road, maybe decades, but in God's time that seed might just germinate and bear fruit. So people, be patient and just keep sowing the seed. It is our work to sow. It is God's Work his prerogative to see of how and when he pleases. At this point, I want to turn from our Saviour's sovereign timing to our Saviour's sovereign power, and here we deal with the. I want to move over to the, the nobleman. Most commentators think that he was a a Jewish official, probably connected to the court of King Herod Antipas, who was one of the sons of Herod the Great, as he was known, the king who really wasn't that great. Uh, There was Herod the Great, as as I think I've said before, who slaughtered all the baby boys in Bethlehem in his attempt to destroy the Christ child. This man, this nobleman, comes to Jesus and implores him to come and save his child, or come and heal his child, for he was at the point of death. And to this cry, our Lord gives the most unusual response. I wonder, did, it, did, you, did, it, did you feel it when, you, when we read the passage? It's, it's certainly not what we would have expected. But again, Jesus, you just could never predict Jesus. And Jesus, as we read, he responds, "Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. You can feel the exasperation in Jesus' voice. Clearly, Jesus was pretty fed up with people coming to him, not for salvation, not bowing to him in submission, not humbly receiving his word, but simply chasing after miracles. And this is a very important truth that John wants us to understand, which he's already highlighted in his gospel. If you turn back to John's Gospel, of chapter two and verse twenty three, John two and verse twenty three. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name. Think, that's great. When they saw the signs which he did. Jesus, this doesn't seem to be so great. We read in verse 24, but Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of, of man for he knew what was in man. It would appear that the people were so caught up in Jesus' miracles, and to the credit, they fully believed that Jesus had the power to do miracles, but they were so caught up in these miracles they didn't take time to listen to what Jesus was actually saying. And for that reason, Jesus will not co- commit himself to them because their faith, and commas, fell far short of true, saving faith. It would, seem, this, it would seem to be this same immature faith that gets overexcited about miracles that Jesus meets in Galilee. If you turn back to our passage uh, in John chapter in John chapter four and verse 45. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him. Why? Having seen all things he he did in Jerusalem at the feast. It is this miracle-seeking faith that surely explains that otherwise, what would be a very strange statement in verses uh, 43 and 44. Uh, Now after two days he departed from there and went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified... That a prophet has no honour in his own country. These people received him, all right. But Jesus is saying he's got no honour in Galilee. Why? Because the people were just chasing after miracles. It wasn't salvation. But miracles was their big bee in their bonnet. Now, I haven't time to develop this. But in John's Gospel, there's a very interesting two-dimensional approach to miracles. Firstly, Time and time again, Jesus will point to his miracles as proof of who he is. The one and only Son of God come to save the the miracles. John will very rarely talk about miracles in his gospel. He, He refers to the word signs. These were visible demonstrations of who Jesus was. Proof of authentication. But secondly... Jesus has little patience for those who stop at his miracles and don't see them for what they are, merely as an introduction to his message. In other words, what our Lord exactly wants is what he sees in Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus gets criticized for being so slow, the nighttime guy. But we have to give Nicodemus credit. He exactly understands the, the importance of Jesus' miracles. And in John 3, he says, Rabbi, his first words to Jesus Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs you do unless God is with him. Clearly, the miracles of Jesus caught Nicodemus' attention. But here's the thing Nicodemus now wants to hear the message. He doesn't just want another miracle, another sign, another trick pulled out of the bag. He wants the message. And this is exactly the attitude that Jesus seeks in his people. And exactly why. And exactly the opposite attitude of what he found in Galilee. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. It's like Jesus saying, oh people, could you not just forget the miracles and focus on the message. Not miracles, message message. And even in his frustration, our Lord. But even in his frustration, it has to be said, our Lord is very far from being heartless. It's interesting that Greek scholars tell us uh, that if you, the Greek, strictly speaking, is 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 not often in the English, it's not actually rendered word for word. But the, the nobleman says, "Sir, come, my son dies." You know, Perhaps he felt being a nobleman, he could give a, an order and just push Jesus around and get Jesus running at his beg and call. But if that was his attitude, he's in for a shock, as our sovereign saviour will not be pushed around. And Jesus responds in the same terse way. Not doing what the man actually wants, but still delivering the goods. The man says, sir, come, my son dies. The Lord responds, Go, your son lives. And would you believe it? The man, perhaps with his tail between his legs, actually dares to believe Jesus' words. But he'd not seen a single thing to back up what Jesus actually had said. Brothers and sisters, as I've done in recent days, let me close by making... Two statements, a negative statement and a positive statement. Negatively, we do hear an awful lot of talk today on the God channel and the internet about signs and wonders and miracles, all the stuff God's doing. We're told that in some places there's signs and wonders and miracles are all the time, everywhere. Although we're always just conveniently very far away. And what's more, we're told by some preachers, if you want hating, you don't just ask for it, you demand it as the nobleman thought he could demand it. And apparently it would also be a great help if you make a big financial contribution to the preacher making the appeal. Folks, no no one questions the power of God to heal today. God does heal in his own time and good pleasure. He does graciously heal in answer to the humble prayers of his people. That shouldn't that certainly shouldn't surprise us. But folks, let's be very wary of an overemphasis on miracles. To so quote Professor Don Carson in his magisterial commentary, he says, too much interest in raw miracles themselves is spiritually dangerous. Why is that? Because it tends to take away the emphasis from, where, from what our Lord really wants to emphasize today. And what's that? This is my positive statement. What we need to emphasize today is not miracles, not signs, not wonders. What we need to emphasize is the pure, simple gospel of Jesus Christ. Not miracles, but the message of Christ crucified. That's God's sovereign power which he delights to make bare in these days. The healing of a body is just nothing to the healing of a soul. Now to men, we love to see the dramatic, we love to, we'd just love to see a miracle, we'd love to see this happening, we'd get us so worked up and excited. But even if we could heal everybody in Westport this morning, what would we have achieved? People going to hell with healthy bodies. But folks, that's, healing is not God's sovereign power. If you want to see God's sovereign power that is worthy of the name, let us preach and testify and present the pure message of the gospel. The message that God will save everyone who simply comes to him and actually do what the nobleman was willing to do. And what was that? To take Christ at his word and in childlike confidence to trust him for salvation. That Christ is all power to save sinners based on what he did on the cross. And that he will save anyone who comes to him acknowledging himself a sinner. And placing his faith in Christ alone. That is the gospel. This is the power of God unto salvation. And may this message be our delight in these days. God has not promised to heal everybody. And that's no big deal. But what he has promised to do is simply save everybody. Who will come to him in faith. May that be what we emphasize. May that be our joy. May that be our delight. And may be that may that be our passion to present on these days focus. So may so let it be. Amen. Let us pray. Great and sovereign God. Please help us to have in our hearts what is on your heart. May it be this simple gospel, the word of the cross, the message of Christ crucified. And may you help us in these days, Lord God, to teach and preach and present and testify this gospel message as we have opportunity For this is your almighty power made bare to save sinners even in this day. Oh Lord God, help us to keep on preaching and testifying. Help us to keep on sowing. For Lord, we get so discouraged so easily. So often we just sit by the field, we just want to sit down by the wayside when we see nothing happening. But may it be, Lord God, that you will help us To keep going forward, sowing, knowing that one day there will be a great harvest. Oh Lord God, to your name, to your name be glory now and forever. Amen.